A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Esther Tam, who's an experienced designer at ThoughtWorks. I reached out to her to talk about data ethics based on a post Esther had made on LinkedIn. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Esther's point of view. Number one, when designing your UX, your user experience, companies should aim for as little as friction as possible, you know, when signing up with somebody or transacting with them in general. For an ethical company, that means collecting as little information as possible to still maximize value of the service to the user. Number two, companies, if you don't need it, don't collect it. It isn't ethical, but also it increases your attack surface for a data leak and potentially lowers consumers' trust. Number three, we don't have the proof points yet of many companies doing the right thing and disclosing potential issues of sharing information with them in an understandable way. It makes sense because, you know, that might be something that would scare people off or <laughs> would prevent them from sharing some of their information. But that would probably increase consumer trust if they did do that, right? But is that increased trust worth more than the hassle to, to a company or worth more than the risk. We need companies willing to try being more ethical to really know about this. Again, it's kind of, we don't have the proof points. But, you know, being that upfront with their disclosure, it's a cost with a very uncertain upside. So it's hard to see many companies really going for that just yet. Hopefully we can get a few that will. Number four, People need to learn that their personal data has value and risk associated with it. Don't give it over to companies without thinking about how it might be used or misused. But most people are nowhere near that thought process yet. Right now, most people are only worried at most about getting scammed, not should this company have my data and how might they misuse it. Number five, ethics isn't just about collection or even usage. Protection is also crucial. If you can't protect sensitive information, you shouldn't be collecting it. Number six, how can we encourage the general population to really care about ethical collection and use of their data? It isn't just, is it just a better explanation of how it's going to be used? With greater understanding, will most people actually care? We, we still don't really know. 
Number seven, the question of who is responsible for ethical data collection is an interesting one. On the one hand, companies should be behaving ethically. (laughs) On the other hand, they often don't. So how much responsibility to protect sensitive information is on the consumer not handing it over in the first place? You know, that kind of uh, fool me once, uh, shame on me, on you, fool me twice, shame on me, you know, yet more companies fooling me every day about not doing things ethical with my data. When when should the shame fall to me? (laughs) Number eight, a designer's role is to advocate and build for the user. But we still don't really know exactly what most users want when it comes to being ethical around data, right? Do they really care about ethics around their data or are they willing to trade their data, pretty much almost any amount of data, for certain services? Is it about more education and communication or do users genuinely not care? We need brave companies willing to test this and provide us some of this information and insight. Number nine, how do we press companies to be more ethical in the data they collect, how they protect the data and how they use data? Have Many companies suffered damage, reputational or otherwise, from ethics breaches. We clearly can't trust every organization. You know, we talked a little bit about the Equifax thing. And, you know, Equifax's business went up after they had this massive, massive breach. And, you know, they had all these distractions, but it just meant that people saw that they had more and more data and their, their business didn't really suffer much from it. They didn't do a whole lot of fines or anything. So... We need to have a little bit more of a hammer around uh, unethical use, right? Number 10, on the flip side, how do companies that are actually doing the right things ethically communicate with, you know, those ethics? Like, what are they doing? Is the cost of behaving ethically worth it? Does it result in a tangible benefit? We assume there is an additional cost to behaving ethically too. So there needs to be an upside for companies to consider it. I think one that you might look at as a case study around this would be DuckDuckGo, the browser that's really focused and the search engine that's really focused on on consumer protection, or at least they're telling us that. (laughs) Do we really know? We're not sure. Number 11, it's easy for consumers to have a false sense of security online relative to their data. While identity theft and similar issues are on the rise, companies are still asking for, and consumers are regularly freely giving sensitive you know, PII. Number 12, very few people really think about potential misuse of data we give to private companies, often with a little explanation of, by those companies of what they will use our data for. Can we really expect companies to fully explain their projected use of data when that might simply confuse more people? We can press them to do it, but likely not expect them to do it willingly. (laughs) Number 13, however, when companies do try to explain their use of data, does anyone read it? Are EULAs actually useful? Do we need something that is in addition to a EULA to explain how data will be used and what will be collected? We need that kind of idiot's guide to, here's what we're going to do with your data, because again, that can scare people. Number 14, and finally, when Most people seem to not really be all that concerned with the data they share until it seems it was used improperly, especially if a company sold their data to a partner or some scammer got a hold of it. You know, Esther talked about that genie is already out of the bottle. And most people don't expect a scam to happen to them specifically. So they only look to react after the data is already out there. Can we change, change their approach and view? Is there really any benefit to pushing on consumers to be more conscious? And is there any benefit to pushing on companies to do this? Does anybody really care? That's kind of what we talk about. And there's a lot of discussion around it. But, you know, I think this is the beginning of the conversation, not the end of. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
very excited for today's episode. I've got Esther Tom here, who's an experienced designer at ThoughtWorks. And um, I saw that she was giving a presentation talking about some stuff around uh, ethics and how important ethics is when we start to think about data. So I reached out to her and we're going to be talking about, you know, how can we actually start to get better around data ethics? And so much of, you know, I put out a mesh musings about ethics and, and, you know, ethics isn't only about bias. Like how can we be (laughs) ethical in how we're actually leveraging data and how can we still drive value and that it's not, oh, we can either be ethical or have value. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of things around data ethics. But before we, we get to that, Esther, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure, Scott. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Esther. I'm an experienced designer at ThoughtWorks um, based in Singapore, even though I've worked in the States for about maybe five years. So I originally started out in media and advertising, but given that I used to like push like fast food, pharmaceuticals, like products to people, it kind of left me a little bit like a distaste for, I guess, that industry. Like, why am I kind of pressuring people to buy products that they don't need? So hence, I kind of switched over to experience design and hope that I can be like practice more ethical design, like in my current like career track. It's uh, yeah. I, th- I think that uh, moral compass. Uh, it's, yeah. it's it can be a little bit difficult with um, you know finding that career path, but I think it is more rewarding. So, um, so one thing we wanted to kind of start off with was the talking about what <laughs> like what ethics actually has to mean when you're in that private sector versus the the public sector, because, you know, um, in, in Singapore, a lot of, um, the government entities are rather large. And so, uh, kind of looking at this from a different lens of, okay, um, if you're in the government, if you're not in the United States, the government in the United States doesn't have much (laughs) ethics, uh, embedded into a lot of the things they do. They have some, but, um, like, how do you start to think about, like, if you're not guided or the government is guided by rules and regulations as to what they can do, but private companies aren't. So why don't we start about, like, what are the rules and regulations that you think are useful that people could look at from the government side as to what they even can't do? And that can guide us a little bit towards what we shouldn't do and things like that. Sure. So maybe... For the benefit of like listeners, if they're like worldwide, maybe just to set some context as to like, I guess the environment that Singapore plays in. So as everyone knows, like we are kind of like one of the most um, safe cities in the world. Like I grew up literally, I could walk out like in the night and no one's going to like really come mug me and stuff like that. So a lot of us, we kind of grew up in this environment where we feel like really safe, really secure. And unless we've like gone like overseas and experienced like very different um, countries and different climates. So we really take our safety for granted. And this kind of like physical safety translates to like, I guess, the mindset of how safe like online is and how safe our data is. And I guess maybe to set more context, like in Singapore, we have um, our national identification number. Um, that actually is um, correlating to our um, birth certificate number. And it also used to be also doubled up as our passport number. So essentially, we have like one set of like national ID that is used across like three or more different um, identifier um, documents. And it wasn't until like, I think 2006 that the government really like enforced and say, hey, we actually need to de-link um, the national ID number from passport numbers because it used to be if I had to renew my passport, I would actually get the same exact like serial number back. Now we don't. We have like um, randomized and unique um, numbers for every single passport that's issued just to curb like all these stolen passports, um, fake passports, etc. So it's kind of like I realized that even for myself, until I went over to um, the U.S. to study, 
I kind of really didn't know or had the concept of what identity theft, identity fraud like is and how to really like protect ourselves. And also it used to be up until 2016, um, companies like any companies can freely ask for your national um, ID number, the full string, and people just willingly give it out like for free. And we don't really realize like the repercussions of us like doing so because that like string of numbers, like you can use it and you can look up like people and their data and whatever data that's actually stored in like the government databases if you hack into them. So I think for us, we are really very, um, I guess, privileged in a sense that it's not so like up until recently, there hasn't been a lot of, I guess, very malicious like acts and like stolen identities, but we're kind of seeing it like more and more right now in Singapore as well with regards to like identity theft and like just um, hacking of bank accounts and so on and so forth. So I guess just a bit of context as to maybe why like for us in particular, it's becoming more and more important that we actually take steps to safeguard our personal data if we know that other people might not be able to do it for us or do it like well, like enough for us. So I guess to circle back um, to the government, so the government wise, like, because they are held like accountable and Singapore kind of like prides itself on being like not as um, corrupt as you would um, if you're compared to like um, other countries around the world. So they kind of take steps, I guess, like good steps, I would say at least to really like protect um, citizen data and to make sure that um, it doesn't get like hacked or stolen like as far as possible. And for one, I know like we are moving towards like um, having a digital um, identity, um, it being like more safe and secure and like not easily accessible or not easily, um, I guess, counterfeited in most cases. And for agencies, um, they do like, they are very careful in handling like our like personal and private data. And even for agencies that do um, contractually like have people participate in longitudinal research, um, they do protect the data like properly to make sure that it's not um, distributed. Even though like there have been cases of, um, I guess, civil servants actually um, accessing um, people's like private data for their own like personal gains whether it's like um, personal personal gains or for other like monetary re reasons or whatnot but there have been like really bad repercussions um, for people who have done so like accessing like government data for their own personal gains so I think for the government wise they are very careful but for private sector wise like I, we can't be like really certain, right? Like how they really like use our data. We know that um, a lot of companies collect um, a lot of data, maybe more data than they might need. And for customers, like, I guess in a sense, we really question why they might need like all sorts of data, right? They ask for email, they ask for phone number, they ask for like your address, your credit card number. Like, is it really necessary to give it all to them like for me i would question i rarely give out my credit card information for one like to let them store it even if it's transaction i kind of let them transact it but don't store it so i don't know scott like do you like how much data do you actually let companies store well and i think that's i think that's the question right of well why do you need this data why do you need if if I am going to be transacting through this company very often and um, I don't want to have to necessarily put my credit card in every single time if I'm going to be doing a lot of things, but um, if it is a one-off transaction, yes, I don't want to give them that. Why do you need my address if it's uh, a digital transaction only? Why do you need uh, this thing? You know, Maybe you need my billing address to get it through from a credit card standpoint, but if not, you know, if I'm using PayPal or something like that, why do you need these things? And and what are you going to use them for? It's it's kind of the same thing. Well, why um, Apple has started to restrict and and show like on the iPhone stuff. Um, Android's doing it a little bit too, but of 
you know, this app wants access to this, this app wants access to this and showing kind of fine granularity. And they like, are you going to, one, do I trust you? Right. Like I, I have everything. Um, I have a raspberry Pi pie hole, um, which, you know, uh, it's like a, a DNS router and I block anything from any Facebook entity. So like, you know, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Giphy, like any WhatsApp, any of those things. So, uh, you know, but I'm, like you said, we're, we're more aware of this. Are people generally aware of this? Right. Like, I think that's the, the good question of, I don't think that Singapore is that different in that you feel safe. Most people haven't thought about what are my threat vectors? What are my, what is my threat surface area around my, my digital information? And so I think, you know, you, you've got uh, something where your government is heavily scrutinized, where a lot of other governments kind of aren't. And, you know, I've had on the folks from NAV in Norway and their, their government is kind of proving that they're a government service and most government entities want to be a service, but, um, but you look at the CSA, the FBI, the, you know, that are collecting this information, even oftentimes illegally. And and so it becomes difficult to trust that government. But one question I would have about what you were talking about there is when you don't have the rules and regulations, how do you think about a company having a, a, like, how would they guide themselves as to what, what is good and what is not good, right? Is mm-hmm. it, um, and, and how do you exchange that information with people about why am I collecting this, this information? Do you have things that you've seen that, you know, you're an experienced designer, uh, you mm-hmm. know, everybody, at least in the, in the States has those, um, EULAs, those end user license agreements or those whatever that pop up and you just click, yes, I've read this and move through. <laughs> You know, so have you found a good way? Like, let's not even talk about the ethics of what it is, but have you found a good way to communicate? Like, what are we going to use this for? Like, why do we want this? I think that's a dichotomy, right? Like, in terms of like UX, user experience, like what we aim to do is to write really ease and create like, almost frictionless experiences. So for instance, like you mentioned, right, if I transact with this um, site or this retailer like many times frequently, I would store my credit card information so my checkout is like quicker every time. They remember like my information, I can just like one-click checkout or whatever, like Amazon does. But if you think about it, like, how should I put it? in terms of like security, like how secure it is, like do you trust um, the retailer to be able to protect um, your data? So collection is one thing, usage is another thing, protection is the third thing, right? Like nowadays there's a lot of instances of people like hacking into systems. Um, we've had a lot of high profile um, security breaches and stolen like data from like hundreds of customers. Um, we had um, an, a situation where like um, Razer, um, a company in Singapore, they um, had a security breach um, because um, of um, some mishandling of code um, from the vendor. And they actually brought this vendor to Singapore High Court. Um, they settled it out of court, but um, it was a very high profile case um, a couple months back. Um, Singtel, um, our telecommunications um, company, um, there was also like security breach, and I think um, employee data was stolen. According along with like credit card information, PII data was stolen. Um, most recently, um, Carousel, um, a retail, an online like secondhand um, retailer. Um, I was part of like the customer data that was actually like stolen or hacked into, and the government like sort of like tracked it down, and that data set is being sold like on the black market to who knows or where. So I guess it's like, how much do you trust um, these companies to actually protect your data as well? Like the government has like tried like really hard to make sure that they don't get hacked. 
but there are also so many companies out there that we give out our data to. I don't even know how many like companies I have accounts with, but probably more than like 20, 25. So yeah, like it's kind of like one thing that I've been thinking of like more and more as I kind of read all these like news reports, even just local news about like all these like security hacks and breaches. I always I will kind of kind of like boils down to like how protected am I with my data? Like not even talking about usage and what kind of targeted ads they throw at you, but is my data even safe anymore? Yeah, well, and I, that makes me think of um, in the U.S. There are these three kind of credit agencies that um, Experian, Equifax, and I can't remember the the third one right now, but um, that they uh, track all this information and they store all this information about U.S. citizens without anyone's consent. Right. They grab all this information. All this information is pumped to them. And we have no ability to opt out as as a U.S. citizen. And then there was that big um, uh, I think it was uh, Equifax got breached. And so everybody's basically personal information and all of like this credit information and things were stolen. And then, you know, I locked down my, my credit from that. Um, just so nobody could open up a credit card or anything like that. And then when I tried to move my official address with the U.S. Social Security office, I I literally couldn't because, you know, Equifax own my address. I have to be able to have my credit unlocked for the U.S. Social Security office because they use this company that didn't handle our data well you know, all of people in the United States data well. And it is super crucial of like, you know, our, our um, you know, financial well-being, our social security in, in our retirement is, you know, controlled by this company that that had almost zero repercussions from leaking everybody in the United States data. So, you know, I'm, I'm jealous of you in certain aspects, but like, I still think, when you're when you're thinking about that experience design, are you working with clients? Are clients wanting to provide reassurance to somebody that that what that they can understand what is being collected, how it's going to be used, and how it's going to be protected, or are they just trying to to not even have anybody think about that because even bringing that up then gives people hesitation, right? When you're thinking about moving through checkout and then you see this, this long list of here's how we, we will or will not use your data. It makes you start to think, well, do I want to give this company my data? You know, and you start to do that of, of it can give pause as to the additional information. Have, have you seen that your, your clients are good with sharing that, that, or like, being open and honest about that information that they're they're collecting and how they're using it and how they're protecting it? I can tell you for one that um, my government clients are definitely very transparent about like data that they're collecting and what um, use it is for. Um, and they do actually make you um, read or at least um, do the um, conscious like checkbox to say like, hey, I've read um, these um pages of like um eula and agreeing to it before i like um proceed with any um transaction or agreeing to use um certain services for private companies um i would say not so much like even for maybe like um checkout on transactional um types of service um it's very i guess minimal compared to like how verbose and how detailed um, the government's like terms of use of like certain systems are. But the thing is that even if we provide like EULA, the problem is getting people to actually read it, um, writing it in the language that people understand it and getting them to really consider like what are the consequences of me um, basically providing this set of data um, to whichever service or company that I want to transact with. 
like mainly for me, I guess the biggest issue that I feel is actually um, getting each and every one of us individually to really read and understand and be conscious and aware of what we are giving up, like what kind of rights we're giving up when we transact and like use services. Because there's only so much like we can write it out, make it as easy for you or as hard for you to um, access it or transact without like going through and reading it. You know how like when Apple shows you the EULA, you have to scroll through the entire thing before you can click like agree or disagree, right? So they kind of force you to go through um, the whole uh, the whole spiel. And even so, who reads it? I kind of just read like the first few paragraphs and just skip the rest. I'm pretty sure you probably have not read every single word of these kind of like terms and conditions, right? Let's be honest here. Yeah, well, and I, I think that kind of brings up the question of do people really want to to do, do they just want to use the service and they, they don't want to care or, right? And, and is this like the, um, you know, people have talked about the digital information wallet or things like that, where you mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm going to give, you know, hey, uh, okay, I want to start to use this service. Okay, here are the five things, the five concerns that we, you know, if you're the digital information wallet holder or whatever you want to call it that here are the five concerns that we have about this company, right? Here are the five issues that we think could be, um, that you should be aware of. And uh, do you want to give them that? And so that there is something that that is a barrier, but like, you know, like you said, nobody really reads through the EULA and they kind of do that on purpose, right? I don't know if you ever heard that story about the guy who won $10,000 because he said like, um, and we will give you your, we, we now own your immortal soul or something like that It is part of their EULA. And when he brought it up, there was a bounty on it that the first person to bring it up got $10,000. And it was out there for like years and years before somebody did it. And so um, it was like, do you think that that people want to care or do people just want to feel safe and then be... <laughs> And then they get taken advantage of, or like, is this both sides don't really want to do this. And so, um, you know, the companies just want to be able to collect what they want to collect and monetize however they can. And users are just like, fine, fine, whatever I get it. And I don't want to have to, to care about that. I kind of have to go with like a bit of both, right? Because, like you said, the user, the companies, they just want to make profits, right? Like the AARR framework um, acquisition, like they want to acquire like users, which means that they want people to sign up, create accounts, and then like repeatedly like come back and give them more business. And to get accounts, you need like the user data. And then we've always heard like these, I guess, horror stories of companies like exchanging like customer data with like other companies for like other um, benefits that they might have or like partnerships that they have. And then they kind of like push extra product onto you or like whatnot that we at that point don't have control over how our data is shared, like among like other from companies to companies. But on the other hand, like for consumers, we like, oh, we just really want to use this um service or buy this product at this like point in time like i just want to transact as quickly as possible and just like pay and then just check out and just like use the product so i think it comes down to like unless we actually are um at the receiving end of like some like scam or some like a malicious act that's done to us it's a like I don't want to think about it until it happens to me, right? And people have that like notion that, oh, it's a one in a million chances of like me getting scammed. So until it really happens, then it's a once bitten twice shy thing, right? Like I don't think about like all the extra safety and precautions that I actually should take with regards to like protecting my own data because 
unless it's out there. If it's not even out there for the world to like consume or it's not made public, then people will know that I have this set of data that you can take from me. But once it's like out there, like there's no way of like putting the genie back in the bottle. So I think it's kind of both ways, right? Like we need to really start thinking about like what kind of data we're putting out there. Because it used to be we didn't really have to provide so much data. Like when we go to buy things, we go to the store, we pay cash, and then we get our product and we leave. They don't take our phone number, they don't take our name, they don't take our credit card. But now we do. Now they take everything from us. So there is the difference, right? Like it's so much easier for them to just like do what they want with like us. And because we are also in the end like commodities to these other companies that they might decide to monetize us to some other company to get even more profit or benefits from like the other companies as well. So we're just like giving up all our control. But, but I mean, you, you kind of touched on it in there is do, do people care about that control, right? Like, is it that until they get hit? And so like, if you were like, say you're a company and you want to act ethically, so you want to disclose all of this information not only like, I mean, do you see that as purely something that is of benefit or like, you know, it's like, uh, click here for our, our, you know, read through the EULA and then click here for our, our inhuman language EULA, like, cause we have to use all the legal language, but click here to actually understand what we're doing. Um, I mean, again, does, does it, if it prevents you from doing business with a lot of people simply because you are giving them the actual information, let's say you are using the data ethically, but you're, you're being ethical in, in how you share that you're going to use the data ethically, but you're giving people more information. You're giving people more potential points of friction versus, mm-hmm. you know, that hundred page EULA that nobody's going to read through and just go, okay, okay. But like, I mean, is, is it something where, have you seen, I mean, maybe we haven't even seen companies really doing this very well of really explaining what, what they're doing, what they're using the information for. So have you seen anybody that is doing this really well outside of maybe the Singapore government, but like, and putting it in their language. And then that's had a positive impact because if it, if it has a double negative impact, (laughs) right. Of then you have fewer people signing up and fewer people being comfortable with what, what they're doing. Like, then it's, it's, you know, no company in the world is going to say, okay, yeah, we want to do that, even if it is ethical. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen, like, companies that will, like, risk, I guess, a profit margin to be completely, like, transparent about, hey, like, there's potential that this data might be used here or there or some harm might befall you because we store your data, you may get hacked like one day, like who knows, like just listing down like all these like things that could happen just because you decide to like sign up with them. Like, I don't know, but on the other hand, wouldn't it make these companies like really much more trustworthy? Like maybe trust is not a value we put like on enough. Like do I, should I transact with a company that I absolutely trust? Or should I transact just because it's convenient, like for me, and I can get like what I want at a good price? Like, I guess, what what do we really value, right, in this like very capitalistic like world? Like, do we just want our commodities and we don't really care? Yeah, and, and or have we been trained to not care, and that people actually do want to care? It's it's, but like, I mean, if I were to talk with my parents about this, right, you know, they're in their seventies, and so. Um, uh, they just would not want to have this conversation because it's just, uh, I don't want to even think about it. Right. And so is this something that, that as people are becoming, you know, more and more digital native and things like that, that, that this does become a, a thing again, but that, you know, when we think about the mass market, you know, is it that 50% of the people don't really care? And so, okay, as we start to move forward and forward, you know, I mean, um, 
uh, Catherine Jarmal, uh, KJams, who's also at ThoughtWorks, was was on uh, recently and was talking about kind of privacy and that that aspect, and you know people having uh, Finsta, which was fake Instagram accounts, right? And so they would, but that was not really to protect their information from the company. It was to protect information from each other, right? As to, hey, I can't fine grain controlled my my privacy settings. So I'm going to create different layers of accounts and be like, hey, here's my like main, main account. And I don't publish or I don't post much on there. But then I've got my fake account one that is for kind of my circle of friends and their circle of friends and that. And then I've got ones that's just for my very uh, specific circle of friends and, you know, all of that. So, um, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to ask here is what benefit do you think, I mean, is, do we have proof yet that higher trust drives business value or, or do we need to have, like, if, if somebody is listening to this and saying, I, I want to move more towards ethical data usage, I want to use more towards ethical collection usage and protection, what, how can they sell that internally? How can they do that? Is it that they just kind of, we need some brave souls to go and test it and say, did this add more value? Did we test this out? And, and we saw that this led to better results, right? You know, maybe A-B testing a user experience of, hey, when we really explain like, what is this going to do? What do these settings do? Um, does that lead to better engagement and better trust and things like that? Or, or you know, what have you seen anything that's proved out that people should be testing this out rather other than, Hey, it's the ethical thing to do. It makes us feel good about ourselves, but you know, companies aren't about feeling good about themselves, unfortunately, (laughs) in most cases. Well, the researcher part of me would say, yes, we need to test this because it's hypothetical, right? Like we just assume that like, Hey, maybe people are maybe part ignorant, part like, apathetic they need to see like hey it's actually going to be beneficial for me for my family for everybody if like we actually do practice a lot of like ethics and i think people i think people maybe want to care but maybe they just don't have enough knowledge about like hey what is all this like like digital like where is it headed like what exactly like is data being like used for? I think not a lot of people really understand like what data actually is used for, what it means when it's when you say, Oh, I'm a data company. Like I don't think people understand like what that truly means. So if we if people don't understand, then it's hard to make them understand like we probably need like some sort of like proof that is easy for them to, I guess see that it is working that ethical like data and ethical data usage like is working and is better like for them as well Uh, i I don't know if there are companies that actually like do do that yeah yeah i think this is one of those where it's it's kind of a pie in the sky right now until we have somebody that's actually doing right and then, you know, uh, you know, cause we keep seeing the things about Facebook and, you know, TikTok or ByteDance or whatever, and, you know, and, and all these kind of unethical uses of data and that we're, um, trying to figure out, okay, but are the ones that are really doing ethical use, we never hear about them because they're never the ones that become successful or is it just like that nobody's really tried it yet or, or things like that. So it's, it's. Uh, you know, I'm hoping we can get people to go out on that limb, but it's 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 difficult. So um, we've been talking a lot about the communication. You know, what have you seen that you've when you're looking at interacting with the government? You know, do they have these crazy long EULAs or do they have things? If somebody wanted to start to to communicate better about, hey, here is what our collection, our usage, and our our protection are going to be, is there anywhere where you would recommend people that are interested in doing this to start to do it? Hmm, Where to recommend? I actually have not seen anybody do like EULAs like well, like it is exhausting to read them. And 
as much as like we try, like as much as the government tries, um, they put it um like easily accessible, and you can put it up like as and when you need to, and they really like like iterate like hey you need to really like read this there are repercussions if you don't like abide by like certain um rules and regulations but i don't know i i still find it's it's hard right it's just it's not in our nature to want to read legal documents unfortunately and it it is it is a legal document unless we can find it like a way to make it like more easily like consumed or just like ingrained in us um the knowledge of like how to um how to know like what's good for us so i guess it's in part like maybe it's also something for me to take back like how can i encourage like this kind of like sharings and ethics for business and also in part like how can we encourage like everyone like even for your elderly parents to really like understand and like safeguard like themselves yeah and i think that's one of the big issues is again we're kind of in a uh i, I don't even know if it's a chicken and egg scenario of which comes first but like we're we're are we putting the cart before the horse of saying mm. we need to do this but if there isn't or or i don't know we're, if there isn't demand for this or that we have to test that there is demand for this and that there is value to both sides and, 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 right? Like, is that going to really inspire anybody to go out there and do it? Because, like, we don't have any proof that this is of, of any value to them. So why would they do that? Why would companies be okay with somebody going out and trying to do this when there isn't any proof yet that this is of value? And so... Um, but I, I do think, I think that we can start to have, you know, EULAs have to have legal language. So they're, they're always going to be terrible, but, or I, I believe so, because you can't clearly explain something and still have legal protections, which is very unfortunate. But I mean, I think having a very guided setup around Hey, here is what we're here is what we're asking for here. Here is the additional value, right? You talked about this in the pre-call of how do we communicate to people if you get we're not requiring that you give us this extra bit of information, right? Mm -hmm. We need a b we need your email because we need to give you the ability to log in, right? <laughs> like we do need that. But if you give us our phone if you give us your phone number, what we then can do is we can work to, to provide this additional value or we can provide text alerts if you want those text alerts around, you know, um, okay, you're, we're a, uh, an e-commerce site and we think that you might want like once a day, we're going to um, send you a, a text that says, uh, here's a, a, a hot item that you you now are the only one who's going to have access to it, right? Anybody who signed up for text alerts are the only ones who do. Or, you know, we if you give us X uh, amount of information, this is the value that you get from it, right? And and that you make it a somewhat of a transaction, and you say, and here's how we're going to use it, right? We're only going to use it for these purposes. Um, I keep getting these things from banks where they tell us exactly how they're going to use all of our data because it's required in the state of California, but you literally can't opt out. They're like, we're going to share our data with our third parties in this way and this way. And it's like, and you know, supposedly you can opt out, but you go onto the site and they're like, no, you can't opt out of it. Like, we're just telling you that this is what we're going to do. We have your information. So we get to do what we want with it. Um, so like, if somebody were to to head down that path, you're an experienced designer. Is that something that you would say should be part of the sign up? Is that something that you should, you know, because again, it's additional friction, right? When you think about a, a sign up funnel, you think about where do we lose people? You want to make sure that you get people signed up. And then do you start to ask for the additional information? Or do you say, you know, like, how do you think about that kind of aspect to it? 
Oh, that's a tough choice, right? Do you want to please the client, or do you want to like make sure that like people know like what they're doing? Like, I mean, I guess, or at least simplistically, for like experienced designers, you want to advocate first and foremost for the users, right? I mean, obviously, you have to balance it with like what our clients' needs are because they still need to like make money, but. I mean, as part of best practices, like I would say, yes, like let people know, like as much as possible, like hey, like I'm giving you this piece of information, this piece of data, like at least like let them know, like what is it going to be used for, like if anything, it's a courtesy, like to people, right? I'm giving you something in exchange for, like what, like what's in it for, what's in it for them? If I give you like my phone number, like you said, like to receive, like. Some like text messages or like hey the like the alerts for like like I don't know like early bird like signups for like certain like deals or whatnot. So like that's that, and then obviously like if it's not required for like dealing a business, like please just don't like let people even have the option to provide it like for them if necessary. Like if you have never needed like. Their phone numbers, like why even like ask, like for them in the first place. Like sometimes people just blindly fill up forms, even though you tell them that hey, this is optional. They just give it up. So if you don't let them like enter it, then you would never have to like collect it, and they don't even need to know like hey, it's actually just information that they don't need. But I mean nowadays, like we don't think twice, right? Like. Companies just want to, I guess, they just want to collect. So maybe they was like, oh, maybe down the road I might need this data, because what are you gonna do? You're gonna make um the users like go through and read another like set of EULA after they've agreed to the first one, just because you want to change like, oh, I want to collect an additional piece of information from you. But I think certain companies do do that, right? They keep like updating their、um, privacy statements or whatnot, like hey. This has changed. This situation has changed. Now moving forward, um, we're going to do this or that or, like, what situation like your data is now being used for and stuff like. I've seen it from sites like PayPal. I think I've also seen it from、um, Etsy previously with regards to like privacy statements being updated and changed. So I think there are companies that do try to be good about it and try to like stay、um, or keep us updated. About stuff like that, but still, it's also up to us whether we read it, right? Well, and see, I'm I'm exactly opposite. When I get those PayPal ones, I'm just like, I'm cynical about it because I'm just like, what what now are you trying to do to sell my data? Like, what <laughs> now are you what what more are you allowing yourself to do since you already have my data? And they do probably, I don't know. Uh, fifteen or twenty updates a year, as far as I've seen, at least for the U.S. ones, and it's just like I, I'm just done with this. Like I'm not, I, I, I haven't logged into my my PayPal for forever because it's just like I don't, I don't think that I can trust it simply because you're constantly updating this, and when you're constantly updating it, I haven't seen anybody that does it. From a trustworthy standpoint, right? <laughs> I've only seen it that you're now giving yourself permission to do additional shady things, and that this is a legal protection instead of a value add of hey, you know, and and maybe that's just how they communicate it. Of、mm-hmm. hey, we've updated our privacy statement, and we're adding additional protections to、uh, around ethical use or things like that. That we we have to. Communicate in the legal aspect, but like, can we move more towards as well communicating in a in a layperson aspect? And、mm-hmm. I just don't. I, I'm hoping we can get there, but I think, you know, when we think about exactly what you talked about, if if you don't know why you're going to use it, why collect it? And you go, well, it might have value. I, I talked to a bunch of people early on in the data mesh、um, conversation and. I was like, you know, you've got all this stuff in your data lake. You just kind of need to get rid of it because you, you know that thing from five years ago that you're never using. And it's like, well, what if it might have value? It's like, well, the cost of cleaning it up, the cost of everything, and exactly what you were talking about of the、uh, protection 
threat cost, right? Like if you leak people's data, it can be, it can lead to big fines unless you're a U.S. company because the U.S. just doesn't have any teeth in, in fining people. But um, yeah, I, I guess, again, I'm, I'm kind of circling back to, let's say you've, you've, somebody listening out there is bought in, right? They, they go, okay, Esther, I want to listen to you. I want to, I want to start to do this. Where do they start to look? Do they start to look at, hey, let's look at ethical collection first? Is that probably the the easiest thing to say? Like, if we're not using this, why mm. collect? Or or is it protection? And then, you know, ethical usage is so nebulous. But like, where would you recommend somebody start? You know, if you want to tie that into experience, great. If you don't want to tie that into experience, great. But like, if somebody wants to start looking at at this, you know, it's a it's a pretty big topic that feels like it's not, but it really is underneath. So like, where would somebody start? Well, like you put it in the first place, right? Like the data lake, it stores like information and sometimes it just sits there because it's not used. So like you pointed out, like first step, if you don't need it, like don't collect it because you got to treat like the lay person as if they don't even like understand or know like what's going on. They're just there to like give you data. If you only need like one piece of information from them out of like five, just collect that one. Because if you are then going to store it in a data lake or wherever, then you're only storing that one piece of information out of like five pieces that that person could give you. And if there is like a security breach or a leak, you're only leaking that one piece of information of that person. So by virtue of that fact, like less is more, you have sort of like helped to at least give that person a bit more protection that they didn't even know was coming, right? If if that is, I guess, a very simple way of putting it, like less is more. So if you don't need it, like don't collect it, like don't use it, then you won't have like the additional like headache of wondering like, okay, now there's just extra like loss I need to take because so much more like PI data is being leaked. Yeah. And I think it, it is something where people are just like, well, I could leverage this or, or especially, you know, I get really nervous when people talk about data marketplaces, if it's an internal marketplace, fine. But, you know, oh, well, this value, this data would have value if we were to sell it externally. And it's like, okay, but like, one, is that the business you want to be in? And two, are you there? Like you said, people aren't there just to provide you their data. This has to have a mutual exchange, but we kind of have to have people get to a level where there is a a benefit or there is a cost to um, collecting this information that you shouldn't be collecting. And and we're just not there yet. And, uh, you know, are you seeing that, consumers or even businesses or whatever are becoming more aware of this or because I, I just, you know, I know there are sites where people are, are talking about this and constantly, you know, people are like, why do they need this? Why do they need this? But I'm just not seeing it from enough of a mass market appeal, partially because the companies that want to prevent you from doing that control a lot of the internet conversation, right? If there's a uh, an article that's extremely critical of of uh, collecting this information, I don't think, um, or you know, a site or anything, I don't think Google is going to be uh, super happy to have it rank very highly, or Microsoft, or all these other companies that collect way too much information. So Google knows you know, everything about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But like, are you seeing that there's a rise in demand for this? Or is this kind of, again, is this uh, a, a unicorn world, right? Like a, a thing that it wouldn't it be nice, but there isn't enough demand. So companies aren't going to get any value from doing this yet. Hmm. I know for a fact, like companies are probably more cognizant of the fact that any misuse of data would result in like, repercussions or like fines or at least in Singapore like they do like they find them for like bad behavior and like misuse of like 
data and whatnot. I think for like individuals, we are getting a bit more aware, or at least in Singapore, due to the rise of like um people being scammed out of their like um personal data. The government keeps like sending us all these like um. PSA about like, hey, don't freely give out your information, especially for people who are operating scams that impersonate um government agencies, which also bear a lot of like consequences, like the fines and arrests and like prison sentences are like out there and like reported and stuff. But I think people kind of just equate that like I need to protect my data to not get scammed but i think they haven't really clicked in with like hey that also extends out to like maybe this company could be sharing my data or could be selling my data like i think that connection is not there yet like they know about like protecting themselves from like immediate impact like if i get scammed like if my bank account takes a hit like it's an immediate like repercussion that i feel but with regards to like, hey, if I transact with um company A, but they might be selling like my data data to company B, I don't see that like connection with regards to like me being an individual. And I think that's kind of where it stops for people. Like they don't see like these secondary tertiary connections about how data is being like shared and spread, like outside of their control. Yeah, and I think it's coming up a little bit more in the US with, you know, like, you know, something like a period tracking app where mm-hmm. there are, uh, you know, that um, in these states that have outlawed uh, abortion or have, uh, you know, very restrictive laws that there's, you know, it's now a, a an attack vector. It's now a, a thing where law enforcement can subpoena these things. And, you know, if if your government is working against you, which is happening quite a bit in the U.S. Um, and, and in a lot of countries, obviously, then, you know, you're probably a little more cognizant of it. But it's still um, it's still kind of a scary world out there that you can have a lot of this stuff kind of going after you. So, um but uh, yeah, I, I, so I think we've covered a whole heck of a lot of things here, but um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to, or uh, any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode in general? I think we've covered like quite a bit, Scott, and I guess like at least my personal takeaway is that you need to understand like the value of like your own personal data and then what you are in turn exchanging for when you give up like that data, right? Because that's what data is. It's in the value of like the information that we're exchanging in in return for like what we think we're getting. So unless like you really think that, hey, this company actually is going to value like my data and my privacy and they actually like state it, like in the agreements that we sign, then we really need to hold them accountable for like how they collect and use our data and how they protect it. Yeah, very much agree. So, well, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like them following up about? Um, I think the best place would be to follow me on LinkedIn. I guess that's the safest professional platform right now. To be sharing data. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll, I'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Um, and again, Esther, thank you so much for taking the time today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Well, thank you, Scott, for having me. It's a great fun talking to you. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Esther Tam, experienced designer at ThoughtWorks. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But 
I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.